Welcome to this episode of the Wagging Tails podcast. On this episode, we are going to be talking about the influence of human behaviour on dogs. I'm your host, Fraser, lead canine behavioural specialist and trainer with Noble Canine. And with me is Jay, who's a behavioural dog trainer with Noble Canine as well. We're going to be exploring ways in which human behaviour and emotions can influence our dogs. In this discussion, we're going to dive quite deep into how our actions, our reactions, and even our emotional states can have a significant impact on the behaviour, the training, and the overall well-being of our dogs. Yeah, because I feel like majority of the time, right, as, as behaviourists, um, we have to guide the owner or the handler of the dog onto the right path. and. The majority of our work is always just teaching them what to do in the situation where, for example, if your dog pees on the bed and then you start to make a big fuss out of it, your your dog sees it as like, oh, you know what, my, my owner's getting excited as well. So you're kind of like reinforcing some of these things. If you see a cockroach and then you get freaked out like how I do, my dogs get very excited as well. So every time they see a cockroach, they get very excited. So <laughs> it's, we, we learn along the way. It seems like it should just be a simple, yes, this is what's happening, but it's not. It really is absolutely everything that gets picked up. It kind of all boils down to the human-dog co-evolution. We've got a bit of a, a problem when people think about the evolution of dogs. They think about dogs evolving beside humans. But it's a little bit more than that because... Dogs have not been with us just for a few thousand years. At the very earliest, at the very least, this process began around 15,000 years ago. And there's even some evidence suggesting that it started to happen around about 40,000 years ago. So it's not that dogs evolved beside humans. It's that humans and dogs evolved together at biggest, the lengthiest, there's a 40,000 year stretch where there was co-evolution with humans and dogs. And this, this makes it so that we share a very unique bond, which has really been cultivated and grown over thousands of years. And this all began when wolves started scavenging near human settlements, which led to a mutual benefit between Wolves highlighting when there was dangerous predators nearby or chasing other predators off and alerting humans when things were happening. And this sort of led to the humans feeding them and making sure that they were going to stick around. And this is what eventually fostered the domestication of these dogs. Now, it's important to understand when we say wolves, we say that of ease, but realistically, they probably weren't the wolves that we know. These would have been very different animals in the same way that we say we evolved from chimpanzees. We didn't. We evolved from animals which were somewhat similar to a chimpanzee. So it's not exactly the same. We've got to remember that, that we're talking about tens of thousands of years here. Now, why is this important? Because it means that as humans evolved, so did our canine companions 
And this meant that they're not just adapting physically, but also behaviorally alongside us. So as we evolved behaviorally, so did they. And this co-evolution has resulted in dogs developing a very unique sensitivity to human cues, gestures, emotions. And it means that they're not just companions, but they're also working partners in many, many different things, as well as being incredibly close as what most of us would say as family members. Now, I, I like to say this a lot, um, and it seems silly, but it's also quite true, is you can lie to your spouse, but you can't lie to your dog. Mm -hmm. Now, when I say this, I mean, when you come in from work and you've had a bit of a crappy day and your missus says to you, oh, how was your day? You might turn around and just say, oh, yeah, it was fine. Your dog looks at you and your dog says, nope, you've had a terrible day. You need some love. And there's nothing that you can say to your dog that makes them think that that day was fine. Your dog knows, and it's because of such an acute ability to read our facial features, our body language, our micro cues. And even there's, uh, there's studies which argue that they can actually smell the scent of the hormones on your skin, which also relates to part of their behavior. Now, that one's not been 100% confirmed, but the idea of that is quite impressive. And it actually makes a lot of sense when you think about the fact that we use dogs to smell out cancer and COVID and a small amount of drugs that might be in one suitcase within a thousand suitcases and all of these different things that dogs can do. So it really is a very special bond, which we sometimes don't appreciate as much as we should. Dogs, much like a lot of uh, animals over the past that tens of thousands, um, through selective breeding, natural adaptation, either one, they evolve into a way to suit their surroundings. So if, for example, this dog were to have puppies in a domesticated home, the, that is already um, its natural way of adapting to living with humans. Dogs do have quite a few de developed traits that enhance their ability to communicate and bond with us. So like Fraser said earlier, there's a lot of facial recognition, facial expression recognition, sorry. Dogs are not going to unlock your phone for you. <laughs> Don't worry about that. Funnily uh, enough, Jay, my daughter managed to do that, though. Unlock your phone? Yep. Freya's With face, face managed to unlock my phone. Oh, okay, okay. Kind of scary. <laughs> yeah, but that's interesting. And yeah, and so dogs, uh, a lot of things that dogs do very well is um, they respond to us, to our voices, to, to the things we do. If you notice, if you ever talk to some people who are very expressive, they, they tend to use a lot of hand gestures, right? So dogs shown that they respond to that as well. They respond to a lot of our voices, a lot of our gestures. So this is just one of the key points of co-evolution. The other thing that we've got to realize is that with this co-evolution, it also works into the social structure. This is what was so interesting about the misconception of the alpha dominance theory. And uh, when Dr. David Meck was uh, discovering this, back in the early 70s, and then a couple of years later discovered that he was wrong. 
And a lot of that discovery was not just in the fact that there was a lot of flaws within the study that he originally did, but also the understanding that dogs have adapted to fit into human social structure. So they understand and respond to social cues in a way that mirror human social behaviour. And although humans do have a leadership structure, they don't have the same alpha dominant structure, which was once believed to be the case with canines, which um, not only was incorrect with canines in general, but is also doubled down as being incorrect due to the idea that um, dogs would be completely separate from humans when it comes to social structure, which when you look at the co-evolution just isn't possible. Of course they're going to mirror our social structures and our social behaviour based on that 15, 30, 40,000 years of evolving together. So with all of that in mind, you might be thinking to yourselves, how does that impact the behaviour on my dog? You're talking about how our behaviour and dog's behaviour have evolved together. But that's an important point to remember, though, is that it's not just a case of our dogs mirroring us or our dogs reading us. It's a case of why they can do it. It's a case of understanding that our domestic dogs are not the same as a wolf. They're not the same as a wild Ethiopian dog. Domestic dogs are very, very different and they're very, very special. There's no other animal on the planet that can read human beings' social structures and read human being body language and facial features the way that a dog can. And yes, that includes human beings themselves. Dogs can sometimes be more acute at reading our facial features and body language than we can be at reading each other's. And that's a very important thing to remember as we move forward. Okay, so let's look at the bi-directional relationship between human emotions and dog behaviour. We know that it's not a one-sided relationship. The human, human to dog relationship is not one-sided. It's not humans all going to dogs and dogs all go to humans. It's very interactive. Both, for, both parties are very involved. And as such, it should only be understandable that human emotions can significantly influence dog behaviour. And controversially, the behaviour of dogs can impact the emotion and well-being of humans as well. Now, this bidirectional relationship highlights the emotional and psychological interconnectivity between humans and dogs. But it's important to understand how useful this is or how detrimental it can be as well. So, first of all, let's look at the influence of human emotions on our dogs. The bond between humans and dogs is not just a physical one. We know it's emotional. The way that we feel, the way we express our emotions does impact our dogs greatly. and influences their behaviour, their emotional state and even their learning process. What we're looking at here is how this actually works and I'm going to give a couple of examples of what actually happens here as well. First of all, we've got to look at what's basically mirroring emotions, right? Dogs will see an emotion 
and they will accept that as the norm. They're very, very highly skilled at reading us, as we've been speaking about, and this allows them to often mirror what we're doing. So, for example, I was hired a few years ago now by a family, and the dog was very reactive, basically quite aggressive. When I went in to do the evaluation, um, and I met the wife, and I met the kids, and I met the domestic helper, and everybody was so nice and so chilled, yet this dog was very, very reactive. And although he was fine with me, he was very reactive to people passing, noises, everything. And originally, I thought, there might be some background trauma. We don't know. Let's just work on it and help them get through this. And as we worked through it, the dog would get better over the space of a couple of weeks. And then they'd have a massive relapse. And then after a few weeks, the dog would get better again. And then a massive relapse. So I had to think about this a wee bit outside of the box. I was like, what's going on here? Well, and of course, I'm never going to mention names when I say this, but effectively what was happening is the father of the household was traveling a lot for work and they were on a rotation at work. So they were spending four weeks away from home, four weeks at home. Turns out the father was quite an aggressive gentleman. Gentleman's probably not the right word. But every single time the father came home, what was happening was, is that the dog was reading that behavior, was learning from it, and as a result, the dog was actually mirroring it. Now, mirroring behavior doesn't always come as a good thing. That little story there should have made that very clear. But... The mirroring of this behavior was actually more that the dog was becoming very aggressive towards the father. And a lot of the people that were passing and the dog was becoming reactive to were similar to the father as well. So not only was the dog mirroring the aggressiveness of the father of the house, but the dog was also reflecting the fear that the dad was imposing on not just the dog, by the way, the whole household, the dog was projecting that out to anybody that had anything similar to the dad. So there's two things happening there. You've got the mirroring of emotions. You've got the impact of well-being. So the impact of well-being is the emotional state of the owner affecting the well-being of the dog. Now, when this dog was with the positive feelings of the rest of the family, which I can only imagine would have been somewhat release and relief when the dad was overseas. But um, the dog was doing very well then. We were making leaps and strides. Every time that aggression came back home, the dog's well-being would drop, the dog would mirror that emotion, and the dog would project that emotion as well. Now, I am happy to say that about a year after I stopped working with them, I then started working with them again after the father was no longer in the picture. And the dog very quickly got better, which just proves the point 
that that was one of the big triggers when it comes to that emotional connection and that emotional mirroring that dogs do so effectively, whether that be for the good or the bad. So we've got to bear that in mind and we've got to be aware that what we do in our household will reflect on the dog as well. Now, that, that the example I gave there is quite an extreme example. I can tell you right now that does not happen very often in all, all the years I've done this. There's maybe two occasions where I can actually say that aggression has become apparent because of the behaviour of a member of the household. But it does happen. The same happens with overexcitableness. The same happens with nervousness and stress. So as we behave around and with our dogs, we've got to keep that in mind. The same thing also happens with children, by the way, just as a point as well. So for behavioral responses, um, like Rachel said, it's very heavily dependent on the influence of the owner, maybe not the owner, the person who is around the dog most of the time. Because like I, I've seen some dogs um take a lot of cues from a helper, for example, because the helper is the one that always feeds them, walks the dog, and stuff like that. So um some examples of these behavioral responses could be uh how anxious the dog is, because a very calm and confident owner will help the dog feel more secure, feel more relaxed in their own home or even outside. They feel like, oh, as long as I'm next to my my owner, my handler, I am very, I feel very secure. I, I feel like I don't need to be anxious. I don't need to be stressed out. But of course, on the other side of it, someone who is um, a mess all the time, very anxious, always stressed out or very easily irritated will contribute to their dog developing these similar emotions as well or these similar anxious behaviors and the worst thing is that dogs don't know how to process stress the way we do for us for some people most people maybe a little bit of stress is actually quite good for you you know it puts you in a very good um state of mind to do work you, you feel like deadlines are coming not too much stress of course and then after we do that we go and unwind, we go to de-stress. We can go, I don't know, for a massage, go to the spa, go out, grab a drink with friends, have uh, the stay at home, whatever you, you guys like to do to de-stress. Dogs don't have that direct method. For, for dogs, it's a lot about their natural behavior. So there's a lot of stress-related health issues that can arise if a dog is always so stressed out, always so anxious and always so worried and doesn't even feel secure because imagine if you go home what you call home and then you have nowhere that you can feel relaxed you would be a mess there is also the adaptation to a lot of our emotional cues because dogs learn to associate certain cues from us with specific outcomes okay so dogs learn to associate emotional cues from their owners and um, that effectively is similar to chaining so you probably notice with your dog that if you put on a certain pair of shoes or if you pick up a certain cap, which you're going to wear when you walk them, before you've even reached for that leash, they're already starting to respond. This is effectively Pavlovian theory. It's the idea that a dog will react 
to an external stimulus which actually has nothing to do with the result that they're reacting to. Now, this is not just the case from physical cues. This is also the case for emotional cues. So, for example, without going too deep into the negative, if every single time you get angry, every single time you get sad, you respond with a certain method or way, your dog is going to respond similarly. If every time you get sad, you go to the freezer, grab a pint of ice cream, sit down on the sofa and watch the, all the Star Wars movies. Well, anytime you're sad, your dog is likely going to do something along the lines of go and lie down on the sofa waiting for you to come and join them so that you can watch those movies, if that's what you did every single time. In the same way, that can also happen if every time you get annoyed or something that I've seen before is if every time you get drunk, your dog is going and hiding, that could be a learned adaptation to an emotional cue because when you come into the house drunk, there may have been a couple of experiences where your dog ends up feeling uncomfortable, scared, or even hurt, then that becomes an emotional cue to the dog. So we've got to be aware of these as we're living and caring for our dogs so that we don't end up negatively impacting them. Of course, I talk about the negatives, but now we're going to be talking about the positives. Okay? So when we look at training and communication, now we've spoken about this many, many times in so many videos, so many different podcasts, but the emotional state of us as a human being during training sessions, during play, this is really, really important to the effectiveness of the training, of the behavioural modification, because dogs will be keenly attuned to our emotional tone, which, as we've just spoken about, makes a lot of sense. Now, I know that Jay does this as well. I certainly do, but I say to people regularly, if you've had a crappy day, skip the training. It's not just to give the people a break. It's actually so that you don't negatively impact on the training with frustration, anger, impatience, or anything else which could hinder the dog's ability to learn. Because negative emotions can lead to stressful training environments, which makes dogs a lot more hesitant to participate in any kind of training, and it can even develop them into being actively defiant. So they're not going to do what you're asking them to do if you're trying to train them when you are frustrated, angry, or being impatient. Now, this is something that I had to learn the hard way. Luckily, I get over that one. So let's look at more of the positives. So if we display a lot of patience, if we're able to display a lot of encouragement and a lot of happiness and even excitement when it's suitable during these training sessions, during these, these uh, behavioral modification sessions, this makes such a huge difference because then the dog is relating what you're asking them to do directly with that emotion. So I cannot stress enough how impactful your emotions, your mental state has when you are doing training with your dogs. 
It's one thing that makes our jobs so difficult and so challenging. And when I speak to trainers and behaviour specialists and behaviours from all over the world, a lot of us deal with this, is that if you're having a bad day, it makes it so difficult to be on point with sessions. And in fact, like I was saying before we started recording, Athos, my dog, has been in surgery today and I was incredibly worried about him. Because of that, I ensured that I only had one session at the end of the day today because I knew if I dropped him off at the vet and then gone straight to session with client after client after client, I would not have been very effective because I would have been concerned. I would have been anxious. I would have been stressed. And that would have directly impacted the dogs and the people that I was working with. So it's not just with a relation to you and your dog, it's a relation on those that are working with your dog and your dog. And this is something that we spoke about a few weeks ago when we were speaking about choosing the correct trainer, choosing the correct daycare, choosing the correct dog walker, choosing the correct groomer. All of this is very, very important because as we said earlier on, that frustration, anger, impatience, and all of that stuff can seriously hinder your dog's enjoyment, your dog's progress, or whatever they're trying to work on with your dog. Just think of it this way. If um, you had a boss who told you to go do something, and it's the first time doing it, every time you ask your boss a question about the task at hand, he snaps at you and gets really annoyed. You're, you're not going to go back to him anymore, and then you don't feel like doing it anymore so it's the same thing if if you keep if you had a bad day and you you can't you don't have your normal amount of patience just skip the training because your dog will will not see the training as a reward which is the whole idea of positive reinforcement in fact it even goes deeper than the example of your boss it doesn't need to be somebody in a position of power if you were working in an office and every single morning when you came in, you walked past the receptionist and you said, good morning, and they went, mm. eventually that's going to start grinding on you and that's going to start impacting your mood throughout the day. You know, so it doesn't need to be the person of power, which is important to understand in the household. And power is probably a bit of a strong word, but if you've got the the main caretaker for your dog, and that's the person that you're focusing on with regards to this topic, it might not necessarily be the case that they're the ones that could be impacting it. It could be a child, it could be a cousin, it could be an auntie or uncle, whoever's living in the household, that might just be a bit of a grumpy bastard. And that might be enough to impact the dog. You know? So that um, that impact on not just training, but also your dog's behavior is very, very important. The effective communication. Okay, so basically this is where we come into the areas where I talk about a lot. Anybody who has worked with me will have heard me talking about this, and it wouldn't surprise me if Jay also uses the same acronyms. Calm, clear, confident, consistent. These four here are paramount. So this is when we talk about 
the effectiveness of communication. We've got to be very effective in our own communication between our dog and ourself and ourself and our dog. So effective communication is effectively calm, clear, confident, consistent. You've got to be confident in what you're reading from your dog. Your communication between your dog to you needs to be as clear as possible. This normally comes in the way of you learning how to read your dog's body language. So that confidence is very, very important. On top of that, your confidence within yourself, within what you are doing, needs to be very, very strong as well, along with your clarity. What are you actually saying? When you're giving your dog cues, are you saying sit or are you going sit? You know, you've got to be very clear with not just your verbal, maybe your hand signals as well. When you say sit, you've got to go sit, your palm facing up, moving your hand up so that your dog understands that that is a sit. That way your dog has no confusion. But if you're just sort of lazily lifting your hand and going sit, like the dog might not understand what you're trying to say. That communication is then flawed. So you've got calm, you've got clear, you've got confident, and you've got consistent. That consistency is so important because if you're not doing the same hand movements, if you're not doing the same cues and commands every single time, you are effectively reducing your communication between you and your dog. Now, you might think to yourself, what's that got to do with them reading our emotions? Well, that leads us to the last C, calm. You've got to be calm when you're dealing with your dog because that is your emotional state. But if you're not confident, clear and consistent, your dog's not going to be fully aware of what you're trying to communicate to them. So even if you're having a slightly bad day or your mental state's not as great as you want it to be, if you're able to keep those four C's strong in your mind, you're then going to be able to have a very effective communication with your dog, which is somewhat similar to being in an office environment when you are maybe not feeling your best. But you've got to put on that professional face so that you can get your job done effectively. And that is really what it boils down to here. You're talking to somebody else. You're talking to another animal who doesn't understand your language. The only things your dog understands are the things that you have taught them. And as such, you need to make sure that you're communicating that very clearly. So that is by far the best way to ensure communication effectiveness. Now we move on to slightly more of a controversial topic, and this is the impact of dogs on human emotions. So we know that dogs are not just pets, they're not just companions, they're way more than that. They're, uh, they're sometimes an absolute lifesaver. They certainly changed my life completely. I know that they've changed Jay's life completely. And I know that they changed so many people, even within our clientele, they've changed lives absolutely wonderfully. So we need to understand that it's a deeply symbiotic and it's not just a case of living together, but it's living with each other. So 
What we're looking at here is the different ways in which dogs influence our emotions. And this is us looking at things like emotional support, social interactions, and things we we sort of discussed even last week's session as well with regards to our physical health benefits and things like that. And this is really looking at the bi-directional relationship between the two of us as species. So let's first of all look at emotional support. There, there, there's two parts to this most of the time. Um, I, I've seen a lot of videos actually recently about people claiming that their dogs are emotional support dogs. Have you seen those videos? But then they, you can see the dog clearly has not been trained to be an emotional support dog or any form of support dog. And then you can see the, the dog just going crazy on the streets and people abuse this because they want to bring their dog with them wherever, which is which is really messed up, you know, because they're, they're kind of spoiling it for the people who actually need the help with um, the emotional support dogs. So um, when your dog cuddles with you, you feel very calm, you feel very relaxed, you feel nice. So if, if you've had a really bad day, um, something really bad happened you got home you're crying your dog just curls up to you you feel a lot better for some reason we release a lot of endorphins is it endorphins am i on the right page yep endorphins yeah. so, oxytocin yeah. basically all the happy hormones <laughs> yeah when when your dog comes to you or when you interact with your dog so that's why they are considered very good emotional uh support dogs but of course not just dogs i believe that cats have been have been known to be emotional support because the whole term is emotional support animals, right? Yeah. I've seen people have pigs, have goats, have chickens, have whatever. But the more commonly known ones are, of course, dogs because they are very, very sociable. They they are huge social creatures that have integrated into our lives really, really well. <laughs> These benefits, it's it's not just it's not just having companionship because. We, we don't feel alone. And and the feeling of being alone is probably the one of the most dangerous ones that can lead to a lot of um terrible things. Because men, if you are left your left with your thoughts alone, that's when you start to imagine things, think about things, and, and you start judging yourself really, really bad as well. Or or the other way around. Um, it depends on, on Who's the voice in your head? <laughs> and also, as an emotional support um, dog, they reduce a lot of stress because when you do interact with your dogs, apart from you know the oxytocin and the dopamine, you there's a lot less cortisol, which is the the hormone that is associated with stress. So, if uh, interacting with a dog reduces your stress, that's why. We have a lot of emotional support from them. That's basically how dogs work as um, emotional support. Now, there is different types of emotional support. There's emotional support, which can be basically service dogs. And those are the dogs that need to be trained to a fairly high level. You also have emotional support, which is effectively just a companion animal with a emotional support badge. Now, this is not the same as the people that just say their dog or cat or terrapin or emotional support. This is oh, uh, this is an animal where there has to be some form of 
calmness, some form of of a training, as it were. Now I've got clients who we've worked very hard on their dogs, and then they've volunteered to do emotional support with their local churches or with their local temples and things like that. And they go around the old folks' homes and let the old folks play with the dogs and uh, have fun with them. This is emotional support. But it's not just a dog running wild around an old folks' home because that's not appropriate. It has to come from a calm, friendly dog showing that level of behaviour and emotion to people that are in a more stressful, uncomfortable state. I'm not saying that all people are in a stressful, uncomfortable state, but for those of them that are and that are in those situations, having a friendly and calm dog makes a huge difference. And this is one of the great examples of a dog's emotions, the dog's behaviour directly impacting and benefiting that of a human. Social catalysts. So this is the role in human social life. We touched on this last week. Yes, we touched on this last week with the Valentine's Day special. Now, dogs do act as a social catalyst. They encourage their owners to engage more actively within their communities, and they actually facilitate social interactions. If you want good examples of that, I just ask you to go and listen to last week's episode where we gave real-life examples of dogs actually being effectively wingmen for their owners to help them find love, as it were. So that is a really impactful thing. So they're more likely to help their owners engage in conversations with other dog owners. You're definitely going to be out more socialising with other owners at dog parks or dog walking areas. And this leads to new social connections. Then you've got community engagement. So having a dog often leads to starting to participate in different events relating to pets. Great example of that was last year when there was literally, I mean, I'm not sure if it was quite a thousand, but there was hundreds at the Botanic Gardens where they had bands playing They had uh, handouts and everybody went there with their dogs and they were just sort of gathered in the park with appropriate distance, which was really, really impressive. And all of this led to real social engagement with other dog lovers, which you might not have done normally. So big events like that and then small events, even just as a stage of going out and people feeling more able to approach you because your dog's with you. That's the social catalyst. And that has a direct impact on our emotions and our behavior. And that's because of our dog. We also spoke about the physical health benefits. I'll not dive too deep into this because I did go into it last week. The connection between emotional and physical well-being is very well known. And by having a dog, you are increasing your physical activity because you've got to go out and you've got to do daily exercise. You've got to make sure that your dog is reaching their activity needs. It reduces your blood pressure, which also lowers your stress levels. And this 
is all attributed to the calming effect of your pet and your increased physical activity. So a bidirectional relationship has, I would say, four key points to this. The first one, which is your bond, the bond that you have with you and your dog. So an enhanced bond, which recognizes and nurtures the emotional exchange between you and your dog. So that also strengthens the bond. It becomes a much more fulfilling relationship as long as you play your part, be responsible, do all the right things. And of course, I mean, it, it goes without saying that don't hurt your dog, don't hit your dog. Don't put any more stress on your dogs. <clears throat> Second is the the right method of training. So make sure that you have the most effective method of training. And by effective, I don't mean that you want to get the result in the shortest time possible because that's where things go very, very wrong. It is very easy as a human being being top of the food chain to say that I don't want my dog to pee on the pee in the house anymore. So every time my dog pees on the house, I'm going to smack my dog. And you're, you're just making one big round because what will happen most of the time is that your dog will, will not understand the way we understand things because they have a different mental fortitude. They have a, they don't have that capacity to reason things the way we do. For us, it's, I don't need to pee in the house, so that's why I'm doing this. But for a dog, if they get hit, they will realize that I'm not supposed to pee in front of you. So I'm going to go find somewhere that you're not, probably in the corner of the house, and then I'm going to go pee there which makes you even more frustrated because you will be walking out into the living room one day and smelling, I smell pee. Where is it? Oh God, I can't find it. And then it, it just goes very, very difficult. So effective methods of training, always keep yourself up to date. Um, and it's, it's very much depending on how our emotions influence dogs because Training is supposed to be very rewarding, not for just the dog, but for you as well. Because you, you have these little milestones, right? A lot of my, my clients, we, we set out small little, very easily achievable goals. And we have like 10 of them. For example, um, one client is working on getting the dog to disengage from the toys because the dog keeps playing with the toys and, and, and finds everything that he thinks is a toy and just rips it up. So we get the dog to, to drop the toy once and then they make a big celebration out of it. And then it's, that's how you slowly build it up into a more realistic stage. <clears throat> Third is, of course, while you are implementing all of this training, you need to have a lot of management. So behavioral management is something that your trainer should be the one advising you on of course you can go online you can you can ask a lot of uh, groups you can ask a lot of chats but we're, we're, we just want to take some insights into what impact our emotions have on our dogs as well as the emotional impact of dogs on humans because it's a two-way thing right we're talking about bi-directional relationships your understanding into a dog's emotions and a dog's behavior is a huge assist to managing a lot of these problematic behaviors because you are supposed to look at it from a very empathetic point of view and be as well informed about the issue as possible. Because if 
you understand that the dog is not doing this because the dog is trying to be stubborn for example a lot of people say oh my dog is just very stubborn my dog just doesn't want to do this just doesn't want to do that or refuses to or, or keeps doing this or keeps doing that think about it from the dog's point of view is there any way that we can work around it how how can i redirect my dog to something else or or get my dog to disengage from this or that make sure you keep yourself very up to date about all of these research and findings um, of course you don't have to go read up on this all the time because you have Frasier and me which <laughs> will come out every week with episodes like this for you guys to listen to so you don't have to scroll through 300 pages to find find out what's the newest uh researchers and last but not least it's your emotional well-being the support provided by dogs really really enhance your emotional well-being because li life is tough enough isn't it like why why go around and, and just stressing yourself out and then you get a dog and it's supposed to be a very rewarding thing but then you want to get you get even more stressed out and then you take it out on your dog and your dog gets stressed out has behavioral issues and then it goes back onto you so how you treat your dog really really affects your relationship with with your dog a dog will never just run up to you and bite you for no reason a dog will never just decide that oh you know what today i'm gonna be an asshole and just poop on my owner's bit no a dog doesn't do that so be well informed make sure that you understand why your dog is or, or just think about it if, if your dog does something always just think like why is my dog doing that so with all of that in mind before we start going into the examples and the case studies we can look at the coevolution of humans and dogs having led to a relationship characterized by emotional and behavioral reciprocation. It's not just a case of, we've got these wee animals in our house and they're very, very cute, which is somewhat like a lot of other pets, which I know this might be unpopular, but for example, if you've got a pet gerbil, they're amazing, don't get me wrong, I've had pet gerbils, they're awesome, but they're not the same as a dog, That's not got the same emotional connection. Dogs are very, very different and we need to understand that by understanding and appreciate the impact that dogs have on human emotions and vice versa, we can foster a much more supportive and empathetic environment for both species. And this is very, very important for our own happiness as well as our dog's happiness when we have our uh, canine companions. And so what we're going to look at now is I'm going to run through a couple of very short examples before we look at more detailed case studies. And as we're listing this off, if anybody has any examples of their own, please comment in the comments, please message in the comments to let us know so that we can use that as the example as well. So first of all, stress, anxiety and excitement. Now this is a real life example. There was a girl called Sarah. Her name may or may not have been changed. I'm pretty sure it has. A university student who noticed that her border collie 
had become increasingly agitated during her final exams. And as the exams drew closer and her stress levels started to rise even more, her dog began to exhibit signs of anxiety such as pacing, excessive barking, starting to get a little bit more um, reactive towards other dogs and people. And this was all mirroring Sarah's emotional state. So this example highlights how dogs can sense and respond to our emotional cues by mirroring our feelings from a real-life example with Sarah and her Border Collie. Jay, do you want to take the next one? Yep. <clears throat> so this uh, example is from John. I'm pretty sure all these names have been changed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, the names are all too simple. Not that there's anything wrong with the name John. This is a nice name. I can try and make the fake names a little bit more complicated, but I kind of feel like it's unfair to give the real names. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so John, air quotes, is a freelance graphic designer, used to have a very erratic work schedule, which left his golden retriever, Bella, feeling very anxious and unsure about her daily routines. Once John established a consistent routine for walks and meals, Bella became noticeably calmer and more secure, demonstrating the positive impact of predictability on your canine's anxiety levels. There you go. And that, that's why we, in a lot of our past episodes, we've talked about establishing a routine for your dog to build that confidence, that, that sense of security, build confidence. If your dog doesn't know when is it, when can they go relieve themselves? When is the next meal coming? When are they going to get some sleep? They're going to be really stressed out because just, just put yourself in your dog's position. You don't know when's your next meal coming. You don't know when you get to sleep and you don't know when you can go number one or number two. You're going to be a nervous wreck. Same for our dogs. So it's important to understand that for those that maybe watched more of my videos in the past, you'll have heard me saying things like ditching the routine, changing up the routine, things like that. If you pay attention to those videos, that's when I'm talking about dogs that have already been through the process of building confidence and trust. So if your dog's got a lot of trust in you and has got a lot of confidence, you can start to waver that routine a little bit so that you've got more flexibility because your dog's also very optimistic. But you've got to be realistic about these things. You can't just have the ego get in the way and say, oh yeah, my dog trusts me, my dog my dog and I have got the best bond ever. And then you try and do this and it all goes to hell. You've got to be very, very, very honest with yourself here. Having that routine while you're building up your dog's confidence and optimism and trust is very, very effective and very important. And I just wanted to make that key point, just in case anybody decides to point out that there's some conflicting information there. That's okay. why we, we call it variety in routine. Yes, yeah. that's exactly what we call it, yeah. Okay, so what I want to just talk about before we go into the case studies is practical tips for managing your own behaviour. Now, this is the one where people might be like, well, who are you to say how to manage your own behaviour? Well. For those of you that don't know, 
when I left my corporate job, I was not convinced that I was going to be able to make enough to sustain my family with just focusing on dogs. So I did life coaching as well, which was entertaining and very interesting. And the courses to get qualified to do that were very interesting. However, working with dogs was far, far better for me. But those courses and qualifications I had to do to be able to coach people in that sector have helped dramatically in this sector as well. And with Jay, on top of everything else he does, Jay owned bars and worked in a bar for many, many years. And as we know, people that run bars are more qualified than therapists when it comes to helping people manage their own behaviours. So, <laughs> Our prescriptions are just happy hour. I mean, yeah, the, the, maybe the prescriptions are a little bit more simple, but you certainly listen to a lot more problems than most psychiatrists. So, maintaining calm and consistency. Yes, these are two of the C's. So, we're going to use this real-life example. Again, I know that the names are very simple. I'm not very inventive with names, but they are real situations, which is why I need to give them simple names. Emma found that practicing mindfulness and deep breathing exercises in moments of stress not only helped her stay calm, but also had a calming effect on her anxious rescue dog, Toby. By maintaining a serene demeanour, she created a peaceful home environment that supported Toby's adjustment and reduced his anxiety. Now, this, for many people that have adopted Singapore Specials or any rescue dogs for that matter, will recognise this. If you are calm, if you are practising mindfulness, if you're doing things like meditation, you have a far better response in that rescue dog. It is not a surprise that when I go to see clients and they say, oh, I'm a yoga instructor, they tend to get advised to only have one or two more sessions, where, as if I have somebody who's a lawyer or a banker, they end up having to do maybe eight sessions. It's not because the bankers or lawyers make more money. I swear it's because of the stress levels. If somebody has got a dog and they're already practicing mindfulness, they're already practicing calmness in their home, the dog is far more likely to take to that. Then we move on to the importance of self-awareness. So, Alex, a dog trainer, emphasizes the importance of self-awareness in interactions with his clients' dogs. He notices that dogs respond better to commands delivering in a calm and confident tone. By being mindful of his body language and tone of voice, Alex improved his effectiveness as a trainer, highlighting the critical role and self-awareness in dog training and care. I do not know why I changed the names here. This is talking about me. I should have just kept it <laughs> as it was. <laughs> as I was writing down these uh, real-life examples, I was just in the way of changing names. But, yeah, that's actually talking about myself here. Um, when I first started, I wasn't really thinking too much about the, the confident tones. I wasn't really thinking about the 
clarity. I wasn't really thinking about any of the four C's. And it wasn't until I started to use it more with my clients that I realized that that should be something that's being emphasized onto my clients to use with their dogs. So it wasn't actually Alex, it was Fraser. But hey, imaginary Alex can take some of that as well. Okay, Jay, do you want to just talk about the examples with regards to training techniques? Yeah. If that's okay. <clears throat> yeah. Okay, so the first example shows a positive reinforcement and emotions. It is from a Lisa who used positive reinforcement to train her poodle by the name of Sophie to do sit and stay. She noticed that Sophie responded more eagerly to training sessions when Lisa herself was in a good mood offering treats and praise with genuine enthusiasm because like we said at the start of this podcast episode dogs can tell if, if you're genuine or not dogs can tell if you're sad or not they can tell if you're happy or not so this shows how positive emotions can enhance the effectiveness of positive reinforcement training regardless positive reinforcement training is still very effective it's just that you should be in the best mindset if you would like to do your training and if you aren't and you know that you're a bit short today you're you're a bit agitated you're stressed out like we said give the training a miss try again later try again tomorrow or the next day whatever the next example <clears throat> is about timing and the nature of our human responses so this one is about agility training there is a michael who learned the importance of timely and positive feedback with his labrador Duke. If you immediately reward Duke when he successfully jumps, you know, reward him treats, reward him praise, Michael is actually reinforcing the desired behavior effectively. So this shows you how precise timing and positive nature of responses can shape your dog's behavior successfully. Because if your dog does something that you ask them to do and you only reward them like five seconds later, 10 seconds later, they're not going to associate them doing what you ask them to do and getting the reward. And then they, they, they might not think about it that way and they might not do the same thing again. You have to always think about getting the right timing. If I ask Blue to do a sit, the moment her, her butt touches the floor, reward. And I say, good girl, because that's the secondary reinforcer. Now on to the case study for um, behavioral change which is the response to our behavior. So Julie and her schnauzer, Fritz, experienced a transformation in their relationship when Julie began working from home. Previously, Fritz displayed destructive behaviors, such as chewing on furniture, which were attributed to separation anxiety. As Julie spent more time at home, providing consistent companionship and engagement, Fritz's behavior improved significantly. Aha! This change underscores how alterations in a human's lifestyle and behavior can directly influence a dog's behavior and well-being. Very, ah, th th this is a little bit of separation anxiety as well, isn't it? <laughs> so I, I'm not sure how I feel about this one. I'm, it, it's good that Julie can can get to spend more time at home with Fritz, but but what do you think about like reinforcing that separation? Anxiety? Suppression anxiety because now Julie can't, let's say, take a three day holiday, take a, take a couple of days away, and, and you know, just go for a short holiday. Well, it's an interesting one because a lot of the time people expect fast results, they expect things to just get fixed. 
especially when they've hired somebody as well. They think, oh, surely this should just get fixed because I've thrown money at it. No, no, no. It takes effort. You've got to put effort in yourself. You've got to put in emotional effort as well. Now, what you could argue here is that Julie spending more time at home is setting Fritz up for success. Only when Fritz is feeling significantly more calm within his environment can she then work on the separation anxiety. But if she's still super stressed, if she's still not at home very often, then trying to work on that separation anxiety is not going to work. So it kind of looks like within this example that Julie has got to the stage where she's now able to work on it. Not so much that she's feeding into that separation anxiety. If we don't set our dogs up for success, they just don't get better. And this is the hilarious thing in a way that people think, oh, the dog should just be getting better because we've had a session. Well, what did you get out of the session? What have you done? Have you changed your behavior? Have you just expected things to get better? Because somebody else has seen your dog. So this is something that uh, I find is very effective to, to illustrate that Julie has not just changed her emotional response, she's changed her behavior. She is behaving differently by spending more time at home, which is impacting Fritz's ability to stay calm in the home. And as such, now she can start working on getting Fritz better with regards to separation anxiety. Does that make sense? Yeah. So the next case study, transformation through routine and calmness. Now, we already sort of looked at this, but it's worth looking at it again. Helen's a nurse with an erratic shift pattern, her Jack Russell Terrier named Sparky, who has exhibited signs of anxiety and destruction behaviour where Helen's schedule is changed, especially. Um, Helen has now implemented a constant daily routine with regards to doing it around her work hours, enlisting the help of a neighbour and professional dog walker, ensuring that Sparky's feeding, play schedules and walking are all consistent. Additionally, Helen is now practicing yoga and meditation at home, which not only helps her manage her own stress, but has created created a calmer environment for Sparky. Over a few months, Sparky becomes less anxious and has shown significantly less destruction within the household. And this is all down to his daily routines, effectively. So this is kind of feeding off of the one that we just spoke about with Julian the Schnauzer, that... Maybe Helen, because she's a nurse, she can't work from home. Nurses can't work from home. So effectively what she's had to do is enlist the help of other people and creating a better schedule around Sparky while she is home. So it's not just a case of saying, oh, I need to drop everything and work from home. There's no other way I can do this. This is just another way of doing the same thing. So... It's not only is it a really good example of calmness, as is the one that we just spoke about, but it's also a good example of when there's an issue that needs to be changed just because you might see one thing that's a f- that you can't do. So maybe you can't work from home. And maybe as you were listening to the, uh, the example of Julie and Fritz, you were thinking, oh, that's all very well and good for them, but I can't do that. Well, here's an example which is similar. They couldn't work from home. 
but they could still get the same result by doing something different. There's an old saying where people say, the dog needs to change around your lifestyle, not the other way around. Well, I call bullshit on that. If you are bringing an animal into your life, you've got to be prepared to make sacrifice. If you bring a child into your life, you've got to be willing to make sacrifice. If you take on a new job, you've got to be willing to make sacrifice. So the idea that a dog shouldn't involve that is madness. That's just a sign of irresponsible dog ownership. So for anybody that does think that, you can unfollow us because it's not something that's realistic. The moment you've brought a life into your life, the moment you've brought a responsibility onto yourself, you've got to find a way to make things work. You can't just give up. And this is a really nice example of how the contrast between Helen and her Jack Russell Sparky and Julian her Schnauzer named Fritz, they had a similar problem, but by different means have both come to a solution. So... Sarah and the German Shepherd Rex um, encountered issues with aggression towards other dogs during walks. Rex's aggressive behavior seemed to escalate with Sarah's visible tension on the leash whenever they approached other dogs. So a professional dog trainer suggested that Sarah work on her own anxiety and response first, which is a big thing, which, which is, I would say, at least like 70% of um, leash aggression cases that, are, that we've come across. <laughs> Sarah it's, also it's the dirty little secret with regards to uh, leash aggression to be honest it, it is yeah so Sarah learned to project calmness and confidence through her body language and tone of voice during her walks she also practiced positive reinforcement of course rewarding Rex with treats and praise whenever he behaved calmly around other dogs <clears throat> Rex's aggression uh, Rex's aggressive reactions diminished significantly over time. As Sarah became more relaxed and confident during their walks, Rex mirrored her emotional state, becoming more at ease around other dogs. This case underscores the influence of an owner's emotions and behaviours on their dog's actions, highlighting the importance of calm and assertive leadership. Yeah, so, I mean, of course there are dogs out there who have like really, really bad aggression towards other dogs. But majority of them, it's maybe your dog acted out once while on a walk with you towards another dog. And ever since then, you got so freaked out that every time you come across another dog, you tug on the leash really hard. Your dog feels that stress and then goes like, wait, why is my owner stressed? Looks around, sees another dog and then, oh, that dog must be causing my owner stress. I better bark at them and lunge at them so that they go away. And guess what? Your owner pulls you away, so the dog does go away, and then the dog thinks he did a very good job. <laughs> that's that's how you that's how this never ending cycle happens. It's it's something that you can see from afar. You can you can see someone suddenly yank on the leash or hold it really tightly when when they're getting closer or when they see another dog, and then that dog is under so much stress already, even though that dog would very happily just walk past. But that's just in the, the initial few stages because do, you are actually training your dog. You're reinforcing to your dog that other dogs are causing me stress. So keep doing what you're doing by doing this over and over again. You have to be very careful of, of, of how you, you 
treat this. And another big issue is that maybe your dog has had an incident before with another dog. After that, you avoid dogs forever. For the rest of your dog's life, you're going to avoid dogs. That is uh, just just not good for your dog either because you're not working on, on a source of stress that your dog has. You're not working on the behavioral issue that your dog has. And that impacts their quality of life. That impacts their, their general well-being as well. Okay, so with all of that, guys, we hope you've enjoyed this episode. One of the biggest takeaways that I want to emphasize before we go is the importance of being mindful of our own behavior and our own emotions when reacting with our dogs. We encourage you to imply the insights that we've given you here to improve your relationship with your dogs. We must be empathetic. We must be patient. We must be understanding and we must strengthen the bond that we have with our dogs. Losing our temper, sort of just lashing out, it doesn't help. And so many times I see it and people will say, oh, do you know what? I'm just at my wits end. Well, have you looked at yourself? Have you looked at how you're reacting? Are you feeling stressed? What are you doing about it? We've got to, like everything else, we've got to look after number one so we can look after everybody else. If we're not looking after ourselves, if we're not being aware of our own stress levels, if we're not being aware of our own mindset and our own emotions, we are not going to be very effective when we try to look after, when we try to enrich, when we try to teach others in our life. And that is probably the biggest takeaway from this episode. Yeah, for sure. So for all of you listening, if you've enjoyed this episode and you feel like you want to support us, please hit that like button if you're listening on Facebook. If you're really keen, please hit that share button. If you're listening to us on podcasts or any of your favorite podcast providers, please give us a review. Please give us stars. It's more helpful than I can possibly say to you right now. If you're very, very keen and you'd like to support the podcast and help us provide better quality equipment, if you'd like us to provide better quality guests, not that the guests we have are not better quality, if you want us to help us continue to have interesting guests when we get when we're able to get them, please consider jumping on as one of our Patreons. Um, and that would be absolutely fantastic. The link for that is going to be in the show notes. And just as we always say at the end of these podcasts, Jay and I are with Noble Canine. Noble Canine sponsors this podcast and it's a big part of what we do. If you are struggling with any of your dog's behavior, if you're struggling with training, we provide both in person within Singapore and we provide online support and training as well. You can get us at noblecanine.com. That's www.noble-canine.com. And if you use the discount code wagging dog, W A G G I N G D O G, that will give you a 10% discount 
for any online initial consultation or in-person initial consultation. So please take advantage of that. That's there for any of our listeners that are needing help. And with that said, guys, we hope you've enjoyed this. And we will see you next week when we are talking about relocating and traveling with your dog, which will be recorded live on Wednesday, the 28th of November at 8 p.m. Singapore time. That's 12 noon GMT, 11 p.m. Australian Eastern. And from that, I'm sure wherever you are in the world, you can figure out the time zone. Please join us. Please interact. And with that said, guys, we will talk to you next week. Cheers. Yeah.